Well, it's great to be back. I haven't been in, in Gateway for ages, and I've never been in this building before, and it's relatively new, and that's really exciting. And um, it's quite close to the sports hall and uh, all of those wonderful activities that I'm really interested in. I'm not very good when, it's, when it comes to taking risks with um, things like sports, physical activities. I mean, I mean, I'm into sport. I enjoy cycling. I enjoy swimming with my kids. And uh, I love to play football with the kids as well. Just, I mean, just wanted to make it clear I'm not a complete slob. But, um, but things like bungee jumping. I mean, who in their right mind would embark on such a ridiculous activity? Tim, you would do that, would you? That you are, I mean, that is foolishness. I mean, I, you see, I always weigh the, the, le- the thrill against the potential level of pain that may be involved. Uh, and skydiving is another one. I mean, jumping out of an aeroplane, falling to the ground, and opening a parachute. I mean, uh, my philosophy on that is this. Um, this. Let me just explain where I come from when it comes to this issue. You know, emotionally, psychologically, rationally, when it comes to jumping out of an aeroplane with a parachute fastened to your back. This is probably best illustrated by a conversation I might have with someone who might think that's a good idea. And I would say to them, what if I jump out of an aeroplane and the parachute doesn't open? And, and they say, oh, that's very rare. <laughs> now, that's, that's not good enough for me, I'm afraid. I, I then say, well, uh, uh, what, what if it happens to be one of the, those rare occasions then that the parachute doesn't open? And they say, don't worry. Right? Okay. Why not? Because there is an emergency parachute. If your first parachute doesn't open, you can use your emergency parachute. Now, I have a question then, which you may have already guessed. My question is, what happens if the emergency parachute doesn't open? And their response is this. They say, don't worry. The emergency parachute always opens. My question then is, why not put the emergency parachute first? (laughs) I reckon I win that argument, okay? Hot air balloons, right? My mum, right? My mum's in her 70s. My mum went up in a hot air balloon. I mean, I I tried to tell her. I mean, I said, she wouldn't listen. I said, mum, are you totally insane? I mean, have you seen what you get into, what you stand in when you go up in a hot air balloon? You stand in a basket, Something someone weaves together at night school. I mean, I had a laundry basket once, and uh, the bottom fell out. My pants were all over the garden. I mean, I rest my case. It's ridiculous. And so, so when it comes to when it comes to these madcap activities, I reckon I'm relatively reserved. But today, what I wanted to talk about is what Fleur prophetically was making reference to, and that is about taking risks for God. What Nigel mentioned to Aleri in the context of the book that she's just received, taking risks for God. There were three students in a light aircraft, and um, suddenly the pilot comes out of the cockpit, and he says, I've got some bad news. You don't want to hear that, do you? in an aircraft, a pilot comes out and he says, I've got some bad news and I've got some worse news. The bad news is that the engines have failed, the plane's going to crash, there's nothing I can do about it. The worst news is that there are four of us and we've only got three parachutes. 
and there was quite quite a silence at this point. Suddenly, one of the three students speaks up, and he says, "Look, guys, I'm really sorry about this, but I'm a straight A student. I've I've been predicted a first in my degree course. I'm actually I think I've got a very important future. Uh, I may be possibly one of the cleverest students, if not the cleverest student in the world, and." Really, the world will benefit from my abilities. And so, for the sake of others, I need to survive. And with that, he grabbed hold of a parachute, put it on his back, and jumped. And the other two students are, whoa. And the pilot's looking, and the pilot looks at the other two students and says, Look, guys, I've had a great life. Uh, I've got no family. No one will miss me particularly. I've done all the things, most of the things, anyway, I'd like to do. You guys, you've got your life in front of you. You take the other two parachutes, and you jump. And one of the students looks at the pilot and he says, don't worry, the cleverest student in the world just jumped out of the plane wearing my rucksack. (laughs) And the moral of this story, and believe it or not, there is a moral, is that when it comes to faith in God, as we take risks, as we take, some people are still getting that, as we take, (laughs) I've just realized, (laughs) I'm talking too quickly, as we take our, our leaps, as it were, we really do need to know what we're holding on to. And if we're holding on to God, and God says jump, we can confidently jump. And so faith is the subject today. And I I would say that faith is actually about knowing who God is. That's actually what faith is about. Faith is about making decisions to trust in God. And faith is never a passive thing. Faith is always active. And faith always demands a response. But I think it is, more than anything, it is about our understanding of who God is. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it starts by saying this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And then the whole chapter reminds us of activity. It talks about demonstrations of faith through actions. Noah building his ark. Abraham going to the promised land. Israel passing through the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho coming down. It's, it's the, the famous faith chapter in the New Testament. Actually, it's all about activity. All about things happening. And faith is not simply about believing, it's about how we live, it's about how we respond to the character of God and how we respond to the promises of God. And so today um, we're going to be speeding through different aspects of the Bible. I want us to to go on a high-speed tour of the Bible today as we look at faith in the context of six different elements. And, And we're going to start with talking about faith for breakthrough. So that's the first thing, faith for breakthrough. Bob the Builder, yeah? I'm going to spiritualize his slogan. Can God do it? Yes, he can. Very good. Bob the Builder fans in, which I'm glad of. It's important. Um, Yes, he can. He tore the sea apart so his people could cross. He brings the walls of Jericho down. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, come out. Only God could do those things. But actually, someone needed to act in faith because actually Moses had to hold out his staff. 
And Joshua needed to instruct the army to, to sound the trumpet and to, and to shout. And someone needed to be prepared to roll that stone away so that Lazarus could come out of the tomb. And so my first question is, have we got faith that God can actually break through in our town, in our lives, in our friends, in our hearts? I want to encourage you today, if you've lost hope, God's actually into breakthrough. It's his specialist subject. It was best demonstrated on Easter Sunday. So if you're feeling downcast or weak or a little bit worn, a little bit weak in your faith, I want to say to you, come to Jesus. Come to the one who can do more than you can possibly imagine. And there are others here today, I would suggest, who need to be facilitators of breakthrough. I believe God's looking for people who will partner him in his promises. People who will step out in faith, the staff holders, the, ro- the stone rollers, the, the trumpet blowers. Courageous souls who actually take God at his word and then risk looking foolish. Because sometimes acting in faith, stepping out in faith, Rupert knows this very well. I, I love going out on the streets of towns with Rupert because he just is very courageous and he just gets stuck in. And he'll do that. And so he knows. But he, he risks looking a bit daft. People making fun of him or whatever. And, and I think we see that as a biblical concept. We see it in Moses. Okay, lads. I'm going to hold this staff over the sea now. And God will do the rest. Moses might end up looking a bit foolish here. Right, lads, the best military tactic is to actually blow our trumpets and shout a lot. Now, Joshua, I'm not a military man, but are you sure about this? So taking risks, seeing walls come down, seeing light break in to darkness. So that's my first point, faith for breakthrough. But actually, what I've noticed about Nigel is he's a very practical person. And I think for Nigel, that's a bit vague. Faith for breakthrough. You know, what does that actually mean? He would want me to put some bones on that, put some flesh on the bones. Say, Come on, Terry, that's not, that's not really. But faith for breakthrough is a very vague term. It's very good, nice start, but let's have some more practical outworkings of what that means. And so for Nigel's sake, please bear with him. He's, he has to catch up. Um, we're, we're going to, I'd like to uh, think about... Uh, a number of other areas, the other five points flesh out, I think, point one. So as we demonstrate faith in the other areas, then I believe the breakthrough is going to come. So we need to look at other elements of faith uh, or other elements of our life that need injections of faith. And so uh, let's start with faith for finances. Let's get back on our Bible tour. Early, ch- early um, church, book of Acts man called Barnabas. What a nice name. He, um, he's, <laughs> he, had no, he had problems with parking, Barnabas, so he decided he would sell a field and give away the money. So, uh, <laughs> so no, Barnabas sells a field, doesn't he? He sells a field. He gives away all the money. Uh, notice that in stark contrast to, the, there's a man in Jesus' story. Jesus tells the story of a man who refuses the blessings of the kingdom of God. Do you know why? He's just bought a field. Sorry, I've got my field. I've got time for that. I've got my field. It's, it's, it's my field. It's a nice field. 
I've got to do, I've got to deal with my field. I've got to look at my field and, and, and fence my field and deal with my field. I'm sorry, I haven't got time for the kingdom of God. I've got to make my field my priority. Barnabas says, forget the field. I'm going to act in faith. I'm going to invest, not in my field, I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. And of course, the opposite response is tragically found in a rich young ruler that Jesus meets who, whose love for money is greater than his love for God. I'm naturally quite a stingy person. I think it's because I was trained as an accountant, and accountants are trained to count every penny. So I'm inclined to do that, I'm afraid. And so um, my wife Helen has pointed out to me that that's not really the way to go. Um, and, uh, and Helen's a naturally generous person. Uh, and and I, believe, I believe sometimes her, her generosity goes beyond what I would regard as sensible boundaries. You know, I would say that sometimes Helen's generosity is beyond what, what's British. You know, sensible British boundaries. And see, uh, but somehow, somehow, I've recognized that she probably has a more godly attitude to wealth and giving than I've had. And I'm, I'm learning about this. And I think I'm getting there. I wouldn't say I am there, but I'm getting there. And, uh, and what I've realized is actually this is about faith. It's not about foolishness because we do need to be wise, stu- wise stewards, but it is about faith. We recently had a gift day in our church, and uh, I was talking to someone about that gift day, and they said that they'd um, been praying, and they'd been prompted to give a certain amount of money, which uh, actually was more than they naturally wanted to give. In fact, it didn't make sense compared with their bank balance. But they felt very strongly that God had spoken to them about giving that amount of money. And so they took that step of faith. They gave that amount of money, which didn't make any sense in the context of how much money they had in their bank. The very same day that the money was given and the money went out of the account, a sum of money came back in, which was from an unexpected dividend that they didn't even know they were going to get, which was double the amount of the amount going out. Now, let me just say something to you. That's not a formula. Okay? <laughs> this person prayed, sought God as to how much to give. They felt very, very strongly they'd heard from God, and they felt that that was right. This isn't some sort of, please please get this, this isn't some sort of uh, get your money back with interest guarantee that God re- wrote into the uh, contract of salvation. Okay? Um, this is an example, I would suggest to you, of God honoring an act of faith. So faith for finances. Barnabas becomes a New Testament hero. He led many people to God in the great city of Antioch. He was regarded as a, uh, a great teacher. He was commended for his faith in, in Acts chapter 11. But the very first mention of this man Barnabas was in this account where he sells his field and he just gives the money away. His foundation, the first thing we find out about this guy, his foundation is about seeking God's kingdom first and having faith that all that other stuff will be added to him as well. Okay, so that's faith for finances. Next, faith for others. Jesus is sitting in a house. Suddenly the roof's off. Paralyzed man is coming through the roof, being lowered by his friends. And it says that Jesus sees the faith of his friends and heals the paralyzed man. And so... This is really important for people here today, I believe. God honors the faith we have 
for others. I want to encourage you in this area. Every time, for example, you pray for a, a sick person who is close to you, every time you pray for someone who you love, who is far away from God, that is an act of faith. And God honors acts of faith. So if, it, if this is true for you, if you're longing for breakthrough in someone else's life, can I say to you that your prayer may be a very simple prayer, a very desperate prayer, may be prayed in pain and in tears, through tears. Your prayer is an act of faith and God responds to the faith of his people. Faith for others is a big deal. Faith for those we love, faith for the prodigals. As we come to him in faith, I genuinely believe God honors that. And as we come, he will respond. And so we just need to keep asking him and seeking him. Faith for others. Next, faith for healing. What can I say about this? There are many things I could say. I'm going to start in a slightly different place. I want to say praise God for the NHS. Actually, praise God for his common grace that brings wonderful medical provision through the hands of doctors and surgeons and medical professionals. And praise God that he knows the best method for healing, often through doctors, but frequently through his miraculous intervention. James, the leader of the church in the first century in Jerusalem, he reminds us in his letter that the prayer of faith will make a sick person well. And there's always a faith ingredient needed when we pray for people who are sick. Sometimes that faith ingredient is from the sick person himself. But I want to say this. Always, the faith ingredient always exists in the person praying. Always. Never be sold a lie that the person you're praying for hasn't been healed, either because of their lack of faith or because of your lack of faith. Because actually a desperate prayer for a loved one who is unwell is all the faith we need. The healing of a person is ultimately up to God who is sovereign, not up to us. Our responsibility is simply to come in faith and to call out to him, to keep knocking, to keep seeking, to keep asking, to not stop. I want to say from my own personal point of view, I am committed to pray for people who are sick until they get better. Until they get better. You might say, well, won't they get better straight away? Yeah, sometimes. What if they don't? Well, I pray again. And we continue, I really want us to get this, we continue to pray for the sick and we continue to care for the sick. Because to care for a sick person, to plan for a person's care who is unwell, is not a lack of faith. But actually to stop praying for them is a lack of faith. And as we pray, as we see God move, then in my experience, we become more encouraged to keep going. I become more encouraged to keep going. And and as we exercise faith in this area, our faith then grows. Do you know what? It's tempting just to stop. Do you sometimes think, oh, I'm just not going to pray for anyone who's sick anymore. I sometimes feel I just, because it's easy, I think it's easy for, for healing to slip off the agenda. And I don't know 
how you guys respond in this church to, to people who are sick, if there's a regular call for people to be prayed for. But my, my encouragement, my exhortation to you is let's be determined to press on and keep praying for the sick. My dad's in my church. He's in his 80s. He was recently diagnosed with skin cancer on his arm. He's had, he's had skin cancer before. But this particular one, it was a lump uh, that the doctor had expressed a significant level of concern about. And he said to, to my dad, you need an appointment and you need it quickly. So dad came forward for prayer immediately after that appointment on the next Sunday. He came forward for prayer and, and he received prayer. And, and within a week, that lump had significantly reduced. It shrunk to practically nothing in a week. At the appointment, the skin was treated. Dad was told, actually, that, that's probably the end of the problem. But you better come back again. And so he went back again this week. And when he went back to see the consultant this week, the consultant said, it's gone. The cancer has gone. Now, here we see an example of God's miraculous intervention alongside professional care. And so faith for healing. I, I want us to be encouraged to keep going. Let's not stop. I think it can be really hard because, you know, we're not always sure what's going to happen. But, but let's not stop. I'll tell you why you shouldn't stop, Gateway Church, because you're the family of God. You're the family of God. You're, you're, you're the community of faith in this town. And as a family, you will care for one another. And as a community of faith, as a faith community, you will pray with faith and with an expectation that God can come and can heal. Okay, let's recap. I've mentioned faith for breakthrough, and encompassed in that faith for finance, faith for others, faith for healing. Two to go. Two to go. Next, faith to witness. Faith to witness. I like these. And I'm, I'm guessing, Rupert, you were talking about put these putting put in through letterboxes, were you? Yeah, in estates. Just want to encourage you to do that. We just started an Alpha course, um, and I was sat by a lady on that Alpha course who was in our church for the very first time on the celebration meal of our Alpha course because someone had put a leaflet through a door. That was the only contact she'd had. No other contact. She picked up the leaflet, she read it, and decided to come. We've got a guy in our co- uh, in our church who's um, uh, comes on Sundays. He's in a, in a small group every week. He uh, became a Christian on an Alpha course a year ago. Uh, he's a GP, local doctor in our area, and he came simply because something like this came, arrived on his doormat. He picked it up, read it, and just decided to come randomly. God does that. He does that. It's incredible. The disciple Andrew introduces his brother Peter to Jesus. Why would he do that? Well, he has faith that once his brother meets Jesus, he'll be transformed. Faith for family members who are far from God. Sometimes, it's, sometimes I think it's really difficult for us to have faith for people who are close to us. But I want to encourage us to keep going. Let's keep inviting people to stuff. Let's uh, keep looking for opportunities to introduce people to God's family and ultimately to God himself. I recently took my mother-in-law to see a guy called Jonathan Aitken. Uh, Jonathan Aitken's a Tory cabinet minister, and he was speaking at, um, 
he was he's transformed by God. His life has been transformed by God. But he was in big trouble at one point. He was in jail. Uh, he'd um, uh, for perjury, and he he was the first ever cabinet minister to go to jail. Um, some wonder whether there should have been a few more following him, but he was the first and the only one so far, I believe. Um, he was speaking in in the theatre in Shrewsbury uh, about how God had transformed his life, and so I decided I would I would invite Helen's mum. My, my mother-in-law, to that event. Now, let me just to set the context. Helen's mom is a raving socialist. She's quite cynical about faith uh, and yet interested, uh, but I wouldn't really describe her as a Thatcherite, if I'm honest. Um, she's interested in politics, and she decided she would come. And I told her she had to keep her mouth shut and listen to what he had to say, and she agreed. And so at the end of the evening, she made two comments, right, about this guy. This guy was right at the heart of the Thatcher government at a time where Helen's mom was raving against the Thatcherite uh, living in a, in a council estate in the north of Shrewsbury. And this is what she had to say about the evening. The first comment she said was this. She hated to admit it, but she was sure that Jonathan Aitken was totally sincere and totally genuine. That was the first thing she said. The second thing she said was this, and I quote, It just goes to prove that people's lives can be changed. Now, she's not there yet, but I think that it was probably worthwhile me nervously taking that step of faith and saying, would you like to come? And you know what? Sometimes we lose faith that certain people can be saved. It just seems impossible to us. And I bet every person can picture someone in their minds immediately. Think, no, oh no. Oh, gosh, no, 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 no. And as I'm talking, talking uh, right now about inviting people to things, you're thinking, oh, Terry, 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 you naive young man, or you naive old man, wherever your perspective is. Terry, you don't know my friend. You don't know my friend. He's so opposed, so aggressive, so adamantly against Christians. Terry, don't even think about the idea that I would invite him or her to anything. Ladies and gentlemen, can I introduce you to someone who probably had the same reservations that you may have? His name was Ananias. He lived in Damascus. He was asked to go to a street called Straight Street, and there he was to meet a man, lay his hands on that man, and pray for that man to be healed of blindness. Now, I reckon that's a pretty big request before we go any further than that, but there was more. You see, this guy happened to be Saul of Tarsus, the killer of Christians, the arch enemy of the church, and the aggressive hater of all who followed Jesus. So there you go, Ananias. Crack on, son. Fill your boots. Now, I'm not sure I would have been so keen. So when I say to, when I say to you about this thing and you say, no, 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 my friend, my friend, as, as you think of your friend, as you look at your friend, as you picture your friend in your mind, you think... Mm, they're unlikely to be interested. I want to say to you, think again, Saul of Tarsus. If he can be transformed by the love of God, if the gospel can reach him, I reckon your friend is within the reach of the grace of God. They may not be keen. You might say to me today, Terry, they're just not keen. They're not keen. It's no good. It's no good you taking to me, Terry. They're not keen. They're not keen, Terry. I'm saying to you, they may not be keen, but how many Christians have they slaughtered? Not many. Okay? Faith in action. Getting out into the world and introducing those who, who don't know God to come and meet him.
And my commitment is to do that. My uh, nephew, who's 30, uh, he's, he's from Helen's side of the family. We were sat in the car driving to the Chinese one night to get a takeaway. And he said, he, he's not a Christian. He said to me, he said, Terry, um, your idea, your alpha course, for example, it, it's simply this, isn't it? You, you, do, you run an alpha course so that um, more people will come into your church, uh, become members of your church, give to your church, and pay your wages. That's really what the Alpha Course is about, isn't it? It's pretty harsh, isn't it, I thought. But I said, um, I said, yes, that's true. No, I didn't. I said, I said, look, Martin, the reality is this. If I find something that is so valuable and so wonderful, and yet it's free, I just want other people to know about it. That's exactly what I said to him. And he went, all right. You really do believe this stuff, don't you? I said, yes, I do. I really do. Uh, and so this cynicism was sort of coming at me, and yet it was a very genuine question and, a, I hope, a very genuine response. And my commitment is to invite someone to everything we organize at Barnabas. And actually, if I don't do that, why should I expect the rest of the church to do it? You know, and they may not always come. But my step of faith is to pray for them and to invite them. And that's a demonstration of faith. I don't know about you, I always get scared about doing this stuff. But I want us to be encouraged to keep going. You've got a, an important service coming up soon. Uh, these cards talk about that. It'd be great to invite people to come to that service. But it always feels scary. But actually there's nothing better in my view, than stepping out in this way. And God honors our faith. He honors our courage. He honors our boldness. Okay. So that's faith to witness. The last category today is saving faith. As I said, I've never done skydiving or parachuting or bungee jumping, but I have been abseiling. Many years ago, Helen and I took some teenagers to a place called Fort Rocky, which some of you may have heard of. It was an outward bound center for, uh, for young people organized by uh, a, an organization called Youth with a Mission. And by some quirk of fate, they talked me into abseiling down a, a very, whole, very tall vertical wall. And, um, and I walked up to this very, very high wall. I mean, it was very high. I, I walked up hundreds, I think probably thousands of steps until I got to the top of this place. And when I got to the top, I was greeted by some teenage girl holding a rope. Right? And, and I tell you what, the girl was tiny. She was, she, was, she was half my size. She was a quarter of my weight. And I, and I thought, what's this? You know, she's holding my rope. Uh, she, I think she could tell I was nervous. You know those sort of people who are very discerning? They're just able to, to spot little, little traits of nervousness. And, and I think she spotted the shaking, sweating, eyes closed and screaming, get me down from here. That was a clue for her. And I think she was, uh, she said to me, she said, just trust me and you'll be fine. Trust you. And then she said this, she said, have you ever done this before? And I thought to myself, she's taking the mick now, isn't she? I said, no, I've never done this before, No. And then she handed me like a, he a leather harness. And she said, can you step into this? It's, and then she laughed, a little joke. Obviously, she tells this joke to everyone. She goes, oh, it's like a kind of nappy. Oh, like a kind of nappy. I'll need a nappy by the time I get to the bar. And, um, 
she, I mean, she was much too cheerful for my liking, to be honest. And, um, and she said, don't worry, I've been doing this all summer. It was May. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but she clipped me in, she handed me some gloves, and she said this, she said, it's simple. Hold the rope and jump. Bounce off the wall with your feet. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but I don't believe that the words jump, bounce, and wall should ever be used in the same sentence, if, if I'm honest. Uh, and I, I asked her a question before I embarked on this ridiculous exercise. I said to her, I said, excuse me, how do I stop from plummeting to my death? And she said, you don't. I do that. I said, you? She said, yeah, I hold your rope. I was like, okay, I said, she's, she's half my age, she's half my size. I'm, I'm saying, look, look I, I've got to do something. Surely I do something. And she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, what you do is this. You trust me. And so I inched to the edge of the wall. And I looked down. I don't know if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins looking into Mount Doom. It was a bit like that. And then she said this to me. She said, do you have any valuables? Yes, my life. Yeah. She said, oh, you're, you're funny. <laughs> I said, I'm funny, yeah. yeah. She said, come on, it's your turn, jump. And so I jumped. And curiously, I discovered that everything she said was true. Oh, what a relief. Saving faith. Can I just encourage you that everything Jesus says is true? Jesus said that God loved the world so much he gave him his only son. And if anyone believes in him, if anyone trusts him, if anyone jumps, if anyone puts their faith in him, they will be saved. In effect, Jesus said, I'll hold the rope, you jump. You jump and you trust me. The Bible says if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that he has been saved, that he has been raised from the dead, he, he will be saved. So you think of that teenage girl on that abseiling wall. To me, I don't know what you think, but to me, her instructions seem much too simple. You know, jump and trust me. Is that it? Just jump and trust you. Surely I need to do more than that. I need to do something more. And in a similar way, Jesus' invitation to us, it can sometimes seem just too simple. Can I really trust that whoever believes in me will not perish. Can I really trust that? Surely I've got, to, I've got to contribute more. Surely work would be a better word. Whoever works for me will be saved. Or satisfy, that fits better. Whoever satisfies me will be saved. No. Believe. Oh, wait a minute. Shouldn't I do more? It's the simplicity that troubles so many people. But let me tell you this, or remind you of this today. It is that simple. It's right back to what Nigel talked about in regard to the cross. It is that simple. Saving faith, trusting Jesus. And maybe there's people even here today, and I don't know all of you, maybe you need to respond to God today. So what we've got is this, faith for breakthrough, which encompasses faith for finances, faith for others. This could be a sermon which could go on forever because there's so many things we could have faith for. I've just picked one or two. Faith for finances, faith for others, faith for healing, faith to witness, and saving faith. Are we going to step out in faith? Do we trust 
God? Do we trust his word? Are we able to take action, putting our faith in the promises of God? That's my question for us today. I wonder, could we stand together? I'd love us just to close our eyes for a moment. I'd like to... Actually, I want to read just one last bit of scripture to you. But as we close our eyes, let's just close our eyes. And as we do that, I want you to picture in your mind right now the biggest challenge that you need faith to ask God to to overcome and to break through. The biggest thing, the biggest challenge you have that you need faith for. And with that in your mind, as we picture those things in our mind now, I want to read the words of Jesus. He said this, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Mountains moving. Let's open our eyes. Let's remain standing. I wonder, Phil, would you just come and play? Is that okay? I've got everyone a present. And there's enough for everyone. And here they are. They are mustard seed bookmarks. Right? And I want you to have one. Right? If you want one in a minute, as we as we just spend time before God, and maybe we'll sing a worship song together, Phil. That's okay. As we as we worship together, then I want you to come and get your present. And this is this is a present for you. And as you collect your mustard seed, I want it to be a prophetic and a symbolic act, an act of faith. I want you to come and receive this, just trusting that whatever mountain you have, it will move. People who may need faith for finances, or faith for others, or faith for healing, or faith to witness. People who, maybe you're here today and you need saving faith. I want you to, this would be your first response to God today. Your very first response, coming and taking one of these. People who need faith for breakthrough. People who are prepared to step out and be the the staff holders and the the stone rollers and the trumpet blowers. So as we worship God together and respond prophetically to this moment, we're actually going to, this is, as I say, a symbolic and a prophetic act of faith. I'd love everyone to receive one of these because there's enough for everyone. I've brought enough, I believe, for everyone. And if we haven't, we'll do a sort of loaves and fish thing and pray that there will be enough. Okay? So I'd love you to come. I'd love everyone to receive a gift. But only come, you stay where you are, unless you want to move on in faith. You only come if you yourself want to move on in faith. So come and get one now. If you want one, you come and get one right now. Let's go for it.